podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 499 of the 5-Year Plan Podcast. Don't worry, by the way. Obviously, something amazing on its way for the Big 500. But in the meantime, you're here today with me, Joe Walker, and two fellow Palace fans. Delighted to be joined by the Athletics' Ruben Pinder. Welcome, good sir. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me again. No, always a pleasure having you on. And alongside us today... The Wayne Routledge to my Julian Gray. It's Jack Pierce. How are you? <laughs> I take that over your Tommy Black. So uh, yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Sorry, listen, I got very excited last week. I went with four nine nine. Just yeah. very, clearly over the overly excited by the proximity to episode five hundred. So apologies, but this is having JD's confirm with some math. This is four nine nine. This is 499. Um, before we get underway, a uh, quick reminder of this season's FYP podcast sponsor. That is Green King Sport, where football's more than a game. Their venues showing every televised Palace fixture over the course of the season. That includes five Palace games on the box in December, by the way. So why not watch in style at your local Green King pub? The Green King Sport Instagram page as well has been given out. A lot of pretty cool stuff, signed shirts, Champions League final tickets. So give them a follow, let them know who sent you, and you'll be helping us a great deal while also putting yourself in the running for some great prizes. Right, the winless run with me in charge on the pod continues. Palace 2, Everton 3. Ruben, you were there in JDC, no less. What was your general assessment of the performance? Um, My general assessment of the performance kind of fluctuated throughout the game um so it's difficult to really land anywhere between that because there were very much good spells and bad spells um i was overall if i had to i'd say probably kind of 6.5 out of 10 in kind of every regard we fell asleep in the first five minutes we woke up we had some good spells we fell asleep again at one point and it it was very costly but generally given the team that played um the and then like at least his impact when he did come on it, despite the gutter punch of that 85th minute goal, I, I wasn't too angry. I was just, you know, disappointed at how the game panned out. Yeah, Jack, the, I, there's a temptation to say we got Sean Dyched. I heard a, sort of that kind of reviews have been like that was a. You just Everton, got Dyched. Yeah, and Everton, that's kind of his stamp is increasing more and more on them. But still, despite that, Quite the uncharacteristic defending from us in that game. Discipline's a word that comes up a few times in the listener questions later on. But uh, was that element of the game particularly surprising to you? Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it was. The I mean, it made for a good game. I think that's one thing we should say. It was a good, a, a good afternoon at Sellers in terms of watching a football match. It was it was quite lively. Uh, you know, both teams with their limitations on, on show, and, and that led to a good game. But yeah, from a Palace perspective, the first minute was was dreadful to be honest and and the goal was almost inevitable even within that first 60 seconds you just felt a goal was coming we couldn't clear our lines the defensive line was all over the place and and they sensed it Mikalenko stayed up from the initial press and he was the extra man in the box and he was the free man nodding past uh, Sam Johnson so shocking start but then the positive is we bounced back immediately uh, gave the ball to Ebbs and he did what he did 
I'm sure we'll get onto uh, the penalty, not penalty conversation in a bit, but put that one away. And then at that point, you know, we controlled the game quite comfortably, I thought, for, for, for large parts of that first half. Ebbs was a threat every time he got the ball or even anywhere near the ball. Everton seemed to panic. Um, so there were real positives. Um, Everton had a threat. They're a different team when they got Calvert-Lewin. Um, as, as you both say, they're, they're a better team than maybe they were given credit at the start of the season. When they've got their better players fit, they're, they're more of a unit than, than they have shown at um, earlier points of the season. So it was probably a tougher game than a lot of Palace fans would have considered. But to concede the goals that we conceded in the second half was really disappointing. You know, the, the way they were able to um, put pressure on, pressure on us in the first part of the second half, which led to the corner. And then the fortune that it just fell straight to the core and he couldn't really miss. But again, we then got back in it. And, you know, Edouard, who had a you know mixed afternoon, to say the least, but he he's there to make the most of a, of a defensive mistake. And then the winner, which is just a shocking goal to concede when you're, you know, as tight as we were in that game. So, you know, as, as Ruben says, there were positives. You know, Elise's impact from the bench, Ebbs' general performance. Um, but, yeah, it's a bit of a gut punch to, to lose a game against a team who will, you know, live in and around the bottom six all season like that. Yeah, it's, it's not not an ideal way to, to end what was an, an entertaining Saturday afternoon. Can I just throw a couple of stats at you to uh, kind of back yeah. up what you've just said? Um, the, the expected goals for this game, Palace had 2.17. Now, to be fair, the penalty would have boosted that hugely. Mm-hmm. And Everton created 1.53. Um, and we had 67% of the ball and dominated most of the second half when you look at you know what the tactic uh, is now called field tilt but the the momentum was all <laughs> largely with us in the in the second half i sent some field. i sent some listeners Ruben, are just starting to wilt at the uh, sound of field tilt well look <laughs> I, love I, it. I, I love it give it a couple of years give it a couple of years they do xg on match of the day now um That's true uh, but yeah so broadly though these numbers i'm just mentioning them because they kind of back up the feeling of we didn't yeah. play that badly. It was a moments game, wasn't it? And, you yeah. know, you've highlighted those moments where it was lapsing in concentration, yeah. You the think... goal, the, the the winner, sorry, Joe, but just the, the yeah. winner, it, it it came after that tilt in terms of Everton just got on top for about, you know, three or four minutes. The Gay made a mistake for the first time of the afternoon. Anderson then hesitated. And I think the, the, the goal kind of comes from that Anderson hesitation, and for someone who looked so assured all afternoon and really kept Cavaloon at bay, Everton really just made the most of that moment. And it's a very incisive pass. And I couldn't believe it. I didn't actually know who scored until after the game, that it was a Dressagana Gay who's popping up there. I mean, that's just not the type of goal that you associate with a player like him. But, you know, Sean Dyche has got them regimented and then probably knew where he was making that move. And it's a nice goal from their perspective, but very disappointing to concede. You can account for that happening every now and then even with a good defense a team in the situation that we are in three goals at home i mean and especially the one at the start of each half was almost enough to doom us anyway um and that's how i felt anyway at the time maybe just conditioned but at 2-2 I thought the game was there to be take i thought wow we've done really well to get back into this albeit the edward goal a nice knockback in from Lerma, but there's a big mistake there from Tarkovsky with some lack of breakdown in communications between him and, and Pickford that get, essentially gives him that opportunity. But from there, it's like, okay, here we go then. This is, we, at that point, Elise is, is on the pitch and has already had an impact. And I suppose that's probably the next place to go 
if you, you're, you're clawing for the positives, which is maybe why the, although actually the listener questions are contradict me here. They are quite uh, energetic. I think the, the timing of the, the, the tweets kind of tells you what, when, <laughs> what, how, how they were, but I, I feel like I've, I don't feel really despondent about this result almost because there was a hopelessness about some of the defeats and results that didn't go our way you know over the last two months even because you felt we just don't have the players to bring on and you're kind of looking to young players to maybe step beyond their current kind of capabilities to to rescue things for us but knowing that Ebbs is now fit to start and Elise presumably with an extra week will be ready to start at Luton hopefully um and they both, in their appearances that they did make on Saturday, wow, were immediately kind of like the big game, like the 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 sparks for us. I mean, Ebbs' first half, I'd go as far as saying <laughs> some of his most impressive play for Palace since joining the club. That that the run for the penalty that was given, ridiculous. The one that isn't given, the he absolutely leaves Mikelenko. I think it is for dust where there's no room to do so and he's breaking in the box. Doesn't quite work out for him in the same way second half, but you could just see how immediately your hopes for the team change so quickly when they're in the mix. And Elise's cameo equally was um, really put Everton on a back foot when he did get the ball. Am I right? Am I am I maybe just being too relaxed by it? Because now that they're back, I'm thinking, you can see it immediately and thinking, ah, oh, yeah, we'll be all right. No, I think I think that's fair and kind of sensible. Like teams of Palace's stature normally are there's there's normally a significant drop off when their best players get injured, right? Because yeah. you know you can only afford you can afford fewer stars, right? Um, yeah. Now the same depth, so like it's nothing against the players who come in, but like the the drop off is inevitable. And um, it's like when Leeds were in the Premier League and they had Rafinha in the team like if he was missing they weren't nowhere near the same threat and attack and that's perfectly fine and that's what happens with us so obviously the timing of the goals as we've kind of established was concerning um from a kind of mental and tactical point of view the uh the other general performances and the return of those two kind of cushioned the blow a bit and now we can definitely expect for much better performances and therefore hopefully better results in, uh, against Luton and, and in the following games. Yeah, not a not a bit of ring rust on Elise, was there, Jack? No, I mean, was it was it more than a minute before he forced that corner, having like jinked inside? It's just yeah. brilliant as if he hadn't been away. And and I haven't heard a a substitute be kind of received like that by Selhurst for a very very long time. That that was. Quite something. There was almost an air of the season begins now about he got a it. proper um, roar, didn't he? It was it, huge. It, it was wasn't fantastic. quite like this, but it reminded me briefly of um, when Wilf came back on loan in 2014. Right when they do the welcome back, Wilf, you know, like the yeah. energy in the announcement when he came on was like a kind of massive relief. Like everyone in the stadium was like, "Thank God." But he got a huge one when the team was announced. You're right. Like just yeah. that moment off the bench, he didn't even need to come on the pitch to get, you know, a rapturous uh, a welcome by by the sellers faithful. But it was great. I mean, just on your point, Joe, about Ebbs, I, I just thought if we'd won that game, we'd probably be talking about one of the best half performances by an individual Palace yeah. player for a really long time. The the defeat kind of takes the gloss off it, but I mean that first half. He was just everything that's good about football. It's why you go to watch football. Some of the stuff he did, you know, inducing gasps, the 
the kind of dummy that he plays for the ball to run through to Edward. I don't know if Edward would have been called offside had he not hesitated for a million years and, and let yeah. Tarkovsky get back. But just Ebbs's kind of ingenuity with with opposition players and and the pace, well, his judgment of the ball speed is just fantastic. He knows exactly what to do with it um, as soon as he's received it, and it's just absolutely magnificent to watch player in full flow. Um, it's just a shame the result didn't really match the, the level of his performance. But as Ruben says, you know, the, the expectation was prior to Ebbs and then Michael Lise returning that we would improve with their return. Thankfully, we did. Had we, you know, watched on Saturday and us do nothing with Ebbs and Michael Lise even, you know, partially back, it would be concerning. But we looked a far better team going forward with both of them present. And that's got to be reassuring for Roy and, and us as fans. So, We'll see what we do at Luton. I, I guess Palace fans are probably um, a little bit more comfortable um, following this defeat, having been to Burnley with the win. Had, had you know we not got the three points from Turf Moor, then this result would be even worse. But it's it's a shame. But there are enough positives to take from the game that I think you know we, we move into you know last game of November and then into December um, with with some positives to hold on to. And it, and if you're clasping for absences to point to still. To Kore not being able to start or or even come on, it, um, you know, I think we saw there that maybe as a contingency, Will Hughes and Lerma together, we're gonna we may see that more than once or twice a season. Um, but you can see that the, we will, as as kind of you pointed out earlier, Ruben, you're gonna feel the absence of a Chetna Kore. Uh, even if you're playing Everton at home, it, it, it makes a huge difference. And I don't think I don't think we concede that winner if Chet Decore is on the pitch. We didn't concede that type of goal when there was just one player like Chet Decore last year, let alone if we have Jefferson Lerma next to him. So big with miss. The Lerma, the... With the Lerma huge midfield, like in terms of profile and traits, like there is balance to it. Like it's not yeah. the worst. But um I think we we actually you're, I think you're right that maybe that goal doesn't go in if if Decore is there because he's likely to cut it out or be more alert or whatever. But I think we also really missed him with the ball as well. Um, Ler- Lerma's not a bad technician by any means, but the way Decore can take it on the turn and zip it through, I think Lerma and Hughes were a little bit more hesitant on the ball and that kind of prevented us from... It, it gave... it. You know, the knock-on of that is that the, the team without the ball has more time to regroup. And when that's a Sean Dyche team, you need to get you need to zip through them quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mentioned for Lerma though. I, I I thought pretty strong. You know, we were there were concerns after certainly the last fixture that oh we need Lerma and well if not Decore then also Lerma the fitness. I think they need some more games lack of match practice. But despite how everything played out, I thought he was very good, and that's not hopefully a concern now for the foreseeable. Although he's about to head over to. Uh, bear with me, listener. A game against Brazil and then Paraguay in this international break. So, who knows? But uh, yeah, that for, for uh, a nice reminder of his kind of early season form. Uh, yeah, I liked um, I liked his performance on Saturday. I thought he he showed why he was bought in. He, he's an improvement on what we had in there in there previously. But what I really enjoyed about Saturday was his just his running niggly battle with Abdullah Dakora. They just did not like each other from whistle one to the last whistle. And um, it's the type of midfielder that we need. And he he was clever. You know, I don't think he needed to learn from Jordan Ayew in terms of how to win fouls, given his stats from his time at Bournemouth. But he was winning clever fouls in the middle of the park for us, and, and that's helpful. Um, you know, We've talked previously on this pod for a number of seasons now about 
how true and honest we've been. But sometimes you need to win a cheap free kick on the edge of on the edge of your own box when you're under pressure. And Justin Lambert seems to have a bit of a, a a skill for that. But I think he looks better when he's got Decora. I'm with Ruben. I think the the balance with Will Hughes wasn't a bad one. The left foot right foot combination works quite well. They both have to kind of go up in and then sit back in and um, and complement one another. But you know, Decore was was being sniffed around for bids of fifty million plus in the summer. So you know that team on Saturday was missing. You could argue a fifty million pound midfielder with him in that team. I, I think you know we're, we're even better than we showed in in moments. So hopefully he's back for Luton. I don't know if he's been called up for the Marley squad for for their internationals during the break, but hopefully not. And then he's fit for Kenilworth Road in uh, two weeks' time. Lerma was statistically was our best player against yeah. Everton. He, uh, he he didn't commit one foul. Did he which not? Is, which is mad. Like he doesn't get booked as much as much as people think he does. Um, he will he will very occasionally, it's moments that stand out, will do something insanely dirty. But that's like once a season, if that. Um, he's actually a lot more disciplined than people give him credit for. Um, yeah, uh, pr- was quite creative, progressive with his passing. He was really good. Um, however. Decore would just be so much better and, you know, Lerma could then do other things. The, the only kind of negative from Lerma's display on Saturday was the chance he had at, I think it was a 2-1 when it comes back to him yes. and you're hoping he hits the target with that. And, and he has got a goal in him. He, he scored some important goals at Bournemouth last year. But that's interesting, Ruben. The, the reputation precedes him in that sense because having even been watching the game live, I would have presumed that he'd have committed at least two or three because he was always involved with, with Decore and James Garner and the referee constantly in their ear. So... He did he well got the to, assist to for the. He got the assist for Edouard's goal as well with that header. Yeah, one of the chief assists of the weekend, but they all count. They all <laughs> count. count. Um, one we wish did count. The and you mentioned it already is the 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 yellow card for Ebbs for his supposed dive. Um, one of those really unfortunate things where that I, I I just think the ref has not called it right, and there's not really any opportunity to overturn that in a way it's not this clear and obvious thing hint you know works against us this week because that that's not like a outright disc- I, I i you know there's an argument to say that it is but i could see it when i then saw it that evening uh, i can see why that wasn't overturned but how annoying and ebbs is that yellow card stays with him for the season you know there's nothing to on on paper history will say he dived in that game I thought, I thought Roy was quite strong after the game to say that he's not a cheat. Um, I, I feel that you know Roy wanted to back his man there. I, I, I'm with you. I think for for VAR to look, and we'll come on to VAR because that was the other star of the afternoon on Saturday at some point. But that penalty check was what 90 seconds. So for them to check that many times, I, I don't know how that can be a clear and obvious yellow card if you want to use the terminology in terms of the awards. So it's very harsh on Ebbs to say that he dived and and the dive warranted the yellow card when you know a, a video analyst has, has had rewind it multiple times to see if it was. But I don't know. I, I if if we conceded that penalty, I'd probably be a bit disappointed. I do think Ebbs is maybe looking for that one. I think the first penalty that was awarded is probably a stronger claim, although you could argue that was a little bit soft and, and Ebbs maybe, you know, being clever, being a bit cute with that one. But when you move the ball, and this is Rob Sutherland's big one, he mentions this all the time. When you're moving the ball at such speed, it doesn't take much to knock you off balance. Um, particularly when there's a mass of bodies, I think for the first one, there were three or four, but yeah, I, it's disappointing. He got the yellow card. I'm more disappointed about that than I am the fact that it wasn't a penalty. It's, it's probably I'm with you, Joe, on that one. Is this not a problem with the wording of the laws of the game, where 
the referees probably looked at it and probably had a similar thought process to you, which is, well, there's a tiny bit of contact. I don't really think it's a foul. It shouldn't really be a dive either, but I've blown the whistle. So now it has to be one of the two, whereas these things aren't really binary. So it's like, and you know how referees are so like the laws, the laws, the laws, like, you know, common sense would have been like, all right, I guess, well, you can't really do a drop ball there. What do you do? Like it's kind of six or one and a half dozen of the other, but he has to make a decision. So therefore he has to book it, which is unfortunate because it wasn't a dive. But, you know, again, I'm not like up in arms that it wasn't a penalty either. And and your point is amplified even more so by the fact that Mark Cucurella was not booked for the most ridiculous dive of this Premier League weekend or any other weekend for that matter in the uh, mm. in the dying embers of the City game yeah. on, on Sunday. You know, that defender, was a clear and obvious dive. A defender diving on his halfway line is never going to get a yellow yeah. card. But. One might argue he was anticipating contact that was actually never <laughs> coming. You know, Doc, who yeah. also did a pretty bad dive against Chelsea as well. And wasn't booked for that either, was he? No. No, so it's just a shame so that they haven't that. blown the whistle, right? They've just exactly. let the ball run. Yeah, yeah. and maybe I mean I don't I don't know who that referee was. I, we certainly haven't had him as a as a official. It was a it was a, it was a new referee by one of the, Premier League standards, I believe. One of the second tier refs, I think, that's kind of getting games. And that's fine. They have to get games at some point. Otherwise, you know, we are just going to be asking John Moss to come back or something like that. So you have got to get these new guys yeah. games. And there were you know elements of his performance which which were decent. But I do think maybe he's gone. <laughs> As players look for decisions, I think the ref's gone looking for a decision there to maybe earn his cross, possibly. I don't think he needs to blow it as Ruben kind of... In, he's, the issue is because he's blown. If he didn't blow and was, and just indicated that Branthwaite got a touch on the ball, then we're not talking about it. We're just talking about, oh, it could have been a pen. But he blew and made made a big call. Because um, the VAR check's going to happen one way or the other. Next time the ball goes out of play or, or there and then when he's blowing the whistle. But... Yeah, I'm, I'm not that upset we didn't get that penalty. There, there have been stronger Palace claims over the years, namely probably a dozen more with Wilf over the years that we didn't get yeah. that we probably deserved more. Yeah, just probably yeah, probably just felt a bit more because of the, how the result panned out. So the noise is a little bit louder. Um, and yeah, Everton fans naturally waving it back in, in our faces, but that's fine. Um, now, I think that rounds up. That game. This is any more talking points that we've missed. I'm happy to move on to part two. We'll come on to Odds and Edward, won't we? There were elements in his performance which just drove me mad on Saturday, but I presume he comes up in in questions possibly. Do you know what he doesn't? So why not? Why not? Let's, let's cover it here. Why is his hold up play so bad sometimes? Yeah, I mean the first goal, the Everton's first goal, literally within the first 45 seconds, he does nowhere near enough to to hold the ball up, and he's literally fresh. The whistle has just blown. So uh, yeah. Huge, huge element of his game, which he didn't really turn up. But he did get the goal, and and Selzy uh, said in the post match, that's what five and eleven. It's a decent return so far. The nice take as well, smart, lovely run. take. He took it well. Yeah, yeah, it's, good finish. It's like flashes of quality, but there's an inconsistency that's so infuriating. Because um, we've seen him take really good finishes before, be really effective um, at linking play, and then sometimes it's like the ball just bounces off him every time it goes near him, and it's like, which version of him are you going to get? Yeah, and, and a, a, a demonstration of one of my football icks, and I will refer to it as an ick, being offside from a long ball from a centre-half oh, yeah. in the first half. I mean, it's sloppy. just it's just basic. It's sloppy. It's crap. It's basic. It's sloppy. And that typified his first-half performance. That said, I still thought there was a goal in him because he's displayed so far this season. He has got a goal in him. But, yeah, more, needs more performance. But I have to say, when Jean-Philippe Mateta, I, I don't know what Jean-Philippe Mateta did for 15 minutes when he came on. No, it was, it was interesting because I think he was due to come on earlier and Edward's goal, 
I think. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. He's Mateta ready. and Hamada were both sent back down, I, I believe. And then, yeah, but then when he did eventually come on, it wasn't. You know, great, was it? He got his song for thirty seconds, and then you never. I, I I completely forgot he came on. Like yeah. I don't think I'm not. I don't know how many times he touched the ball. I That's think it was mind. summed up by a ball that was played down the line by Tyree Mitchell, which kind of hit the line and then bounced. And the crowd knew the ball was still in play, but JP didn't, and the crowd kind of had to alert JP to to track back. It was just a bit of a uninspiring fifteen minute cameo and, and limited our goal threat in that sense. He he offered nothing. Uh, and Tarkovsky and Branthwaite had a, a pretty free last 15, 20 minutes other than when we went gung-ho for, for added on time. But it's an issue. I had two touches. Did he really? Wow. Yeah. That is that pretty is 16, cool. 16 minutes um, as a lone striker. You'd still expect a little bit more. Ch- a little yeah. bit more, particularly chasing, when you're chasing, chasing the game. game as well. Yeah, wow. it's disappointing. Yeah. I do wonder, and sorry, patrons who, who may want to listen to the post-match, and there was plenty of chat about this, I do wonder where we do go into the market. But January market, you know, bang the cliche bell, but it's a very difficult time to go in and spend money in particular. And I don't know whether there is anyone that we could go and get on a short term. I did see Danny Ings' head above uh, oh, David Moyes' on, on Sunday when I was catching a bit of the West Ham Forest game, and I wonder if that's the type of thing we might go in for. That's a guy who has barely paid a minute. Palace in January. He, he, he does, <laughs> but it's 100 grand a week, and you know it's a lot of money to spend yeah, on a bloke who's money. barely kicked a ball. It's yeah. not, he's not really a lone striker specialist either. Um, no. Like... I mean, we'll I, get, I guess we'll go and get, get Trey Adams. We'll go and get Trey Adams, Ruben, to play next. Yeah, week. genuinely, because he's bigger. Like, yeah. complete number nines are, are like gold dust. Like, it's so, which is why, because we're not an elite team, all the strikers we've had have always had quite os- obvious flaws as well as obvious strengths. Um, yeah. So it's 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 a very difficult position to buy for, really. Yeah. My favourite part of this time of year is when uh, it's almost hear me out season. There's a lot of. Whenever a striker appears on social media, for example, I think the low the low point, um, Papi Cisse, 38 years old, is training with Macclesfield, uh, and I thought, even I thought, oh, no, I must resist this. It's like we're not we're not that desperate, are we? Are we? Do you remember the 14-15 season? Yeah. Do you want to try and name every striker that played for Palace that year? Because oh you God. won't. Ugh. This is genuinely. I I I like to bring this up because it's absolutely insane. Do you I'm have gonna... the complete list? Because I think Joe and I could probably give it a good go between I'll us. Find, I'll find it now. Start That's... naming players. I'll... Kevin Doyle. Yes. Andy Johnson. Yes. Uh, Shola Amiobi. Yeah. Yaya Sonogo. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn Murray. Yeah. Correct. Fraser Campbell. Yeah. That's six. Dwight Gale. You see, seven. There's still one more. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, Scored towards the end of the season, I believe it was against Cardiff at home. Which uh, final day of the season, I think that year. Marouane Shamak. Oh, Shamak. Oh, Shamak against right. yeah, Swansea. Yeah, yeah. It is last Swansea, last yeah. uh, last game. Yeah, Cardiff. Yeah. Not not in the league that year. Yeah, Swansea. Um, eight strikers that year. All of them kind of rubbish. Yeah, I think, very few I think goals Murray was our best striker that year, and he'd only just come back from his ACL. Yeah, and, and he, we just had all of these short-term duds. Like, well, that was Warnock. Uh, Warnock chats uh, Murray out on loan to Reading, I think, and he bought yeah. Kevin Doyle in on loan. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> oh my god! And AJ. Funnily enough, I was having a chat with with a, a friend of the family on on Saturday, and they mentioned Daddy Johnson, and I said, AJ 
kind of 02 to 06, not AJ 14, 15, yeah? yeah. Because did he get 20 minutes against Newcastle? Newcastle. League it was heartbreaking because he still had the movement. And I remember he got put through. Effectively would have been a one-on-one for him 15 years ago. 35 yards out, he's been slipped in behind. But the defenders caught up with him immediately. And that was yeah. the end of that. And I thought, oh. Oh, AJ. Yeah, that is that is quite the roll call, Ruben. Thank you for putting yeah. us through that. Listen, let us know how you got on. Always a fun game. Yeah. That is like, a great one. There's probably, game, a good, there's probably a good uh, Sporkle quiz to be created in naming every number nine that Palace have had since promotion. Yeah. The, the, West Ham's kind of record of strikers has been a, a sort of meme content for quite some oh, time. Horrendous, we're, horrendous. we're not far behind, I think. No, yeah. A couple more bad windows, I think, it, uh, we're, we're, we'll be You there. say that, I think we could probably do with signing a couple of strikers. Yeah. But, um, I just don't think it'll be, I don't think we're going to do much business in January. If, if we had a left winger, um, like if if Franca was ready or whatever, we had somebody who could theoretically play, like replaced have replaced Will. Then Ayu would probably be playing through the middle. Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. I think that's fair. And actually, Jordan Ayu did not have a particularly great game on Saturday, and probably could do with going inside because mm. he does a job on the right hand side. But you know, Vitali Mikalenko. No, he yeah exactly. But Vitali Mikalenko is not a particularly great defensive left back. And yet, I don't think Jordan Ayew gave him that much a difficult, sorry, that difficult an afternoon. When Michael Alise came on, you saw his his limitations. But yeah, we'll see. A few months to three, yeah. few months to January, we'll see. What I we like do. I like Ayew on the left. To be honest, I think it works quite well um, at times last season when Wilf was injured. Yeah, um, you mentioned French there quickly. Um, he's just at the time recording. Franca and Malcolm Abue both played seventy five minutes in the EFL trophy game at Stevenage. They're currently 4-2 down with 15 minutes to go. Um, yeah, but yeah, they've, they've got to run out. Ebuwe scored from about 40 yards out, to be fair to him, from a keeper okay. mistake. But um, I saw some very unreasonable reactions to much-needed game time for a, an injured teenager, a recently recovered teenager to being played in that game. But What, as in people are commenting about his performance tonight? Oh no, no! As in no, the, the news that he, the news that he's oh, travelled, I, I see, was was in an international break. Have about two weeks out from getting back from a, a back injury. People were like, "Oh, let's." I saw talking about well, let's look at a January loan. To, What's to shit about? Yeah, I saw that. I saw talking. I think, come on, guys, deep breath. Let's it just... does say it does say though where he is that even at three two down, the manager doesn't think let's get our twenty million pound Brazilian super kid on. That that is a bit of a harsh truth at the moment that Ahamada was deemed the yeah. more suitable addition to the final third in the last 10 on, on Saturday when Everton went three, two up. But yeah, we've talked a lot about France. I, don't, I think it's unfair. I think there's been a lot of, um, a lot of heat on the kid and um, yeah. you've got to trust it will come good. It's just going to take a bit longer than we probably all would have hoped it would have done. Yeah. On that note, let's jump to part two, uh, which will be a list of questions. I've mostly, emotional post-match but uh we'll we'll treat them with the full respect that they're due uh and that'll be on the other side of this Welcome back to the Five Year Plan podcast, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. 
before we get into your list of questions, a quick shout out to friend of the pod, Mark Silverstein, for his appointment to the fan advisory board today. And uh, also a big shout out and salute to everyone else. I think it's five or six in total. Um, so that, that'd be interesting news and how that develops, what that manifests as we look on with curiosity and interest. Because I think fan advisory boards, fans, it more, you know, more increased involvement, whatever that is, however cosmetic it is, is you know, we'll we'll soon see. But I, I think it's a positive step anyway for any club to do that, right? Agreed. Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Uh, shout out to everyone that stood and fact put themselves yeah. forward, even those that weren't shortlisted. You know, fair play for for wanting to do that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's great. I actually met on Saturday. Uh, just kind of relate to that. I met members of the the Palace kind of uh, disabled fans group. I'm sorry, I forget the name, but um, uh, and they just talking about the club and and the work they do as well. And um, I think there was a lot of chat about the fan base on on Saturday, obviously with with the HF being absent for the first half. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's a separate issue, and I don't know too much about that to be honest. So I won't make comment about that one. But just with the fan advisory boards, you know, the good work that um, you know the the club do in partnership with um, the Disabled Supporters Association, you know, there, there is more to, to football than what happens on the on the pitch. And, and if fans are able to contribute towards that, um, then I think it's it's really good. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's nice to have that involvement when you think about the league. You know, I, I went through the, the car park after the game and just seeing the, the miles of television uh, cable. I never leave the ground that way. So to see it all kind of the magic behind the scenes, you forget that you've just been to a game that's being watched around the world. So, for the for the club to still engage with um, with fans local and and from further afield because I know there's a an overseas member of that fan advisory board as well yeah um, I think it's a good thing and, and while a lot of clubs do it there are some that don't so we should probably grateful we uh, we support a club that that are are wanting to engage with fans. You mentioned it that the the HF I think might as well bring it up now and and so for those that weren't there um, the Homestead Fanatics at kickoff had. Um, some messaging on a banners that essentially critical the general kind of sentiment was you've got bigger problems Croydon Council than what we're doing here um, and then kickoff arrived and then they left and were not in the ground well certainly not out in view of the pitch until the second half um, and it was absolutely notable you know, yeah. they make enough noise. They're notable by their absence. And um, sometimes I think some Palace fans don't like to admit this, but when their absence is quite sudden, we're not, you know, we're not always there to step up and fill in their place every time that happens. So they are shown, their value is shown in these moments. Um, there's since been a quite a comprehensive, lengthy HF statement online, which was uh, elaborates a bit more on, some of the recent treatment they've had from Croydon Council at the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of their kind of designated storage rooms and lockers for the flags and 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 banners, etc., have been confiscated, have been kind of analysed and looked at by the council who I think quite, I agree with the HF in that, have probably got bigger fish to fry at the moment than a group who I think... I, I, maybe I'm speaking out of turn here. I, I think if you, if you turn to fan groups and troublemakers at football, I think at Sellers, I don't actually know 
the HF to be responsible for a flurry of arrests or anything like that, or antagonistic antagonism towards the away end. They're on the other side of the, the, the stadium now. And also, you know, they I think as they put in their statement, we're an organisation that's raised sort of tens of thousands of pounds for local charities and, and, and organisations. So, so this kind of what sounds like sustained treatment and pressure from the council just feels like a bit of a, a misfire. Yeah, I just wonder if the club needs to get involved and um, and bring that to an end, really. It's a bit of an, uh, a bad look for, for Croydon Council. As you say, they've done a lot of good work for um, for the local communities, no more so than, than during lockdown when they supported local food banks through the, um, uh, the, the local trusts. So, yeah, hopefully it's it's uh, it's resolved soon because, as you say, it was notable in their absence and, and their absence their sorry their their contributions to the match day atmosphere is uh, is a good one. So, yeah, fingers crossed that gets resolved soon because uh, yeah, need that atmosphere to get going. <laughs> Particularly with the running games we've got coming up at home as well. Indeed, indeed, and you know, I I think some of the kind of people that aren't into them as a group. Some of the criticism about are they do they think they're kind of a separate entity from the club? Are they do they wield their power a little bit too much? That's a conversation that's there still and a different one. But I think taking their concerns for, of from Saturday at surface level, I don't see why anyone wouldn't kind of mm. be behind them really. Mm-hmm. Um, but on that, let's let's uh, let's get into the list of questions then. Uh, let's start with Tim Byers who says. Who asks, am I being too harsh or is this performance v Everton more disappointing than the Newcastle one? Felt like there was even less discipline in this match and we got caught out as a result. Is it improved discipline that is all that's missing? And is that what's keeping Palace from pushing into the top half? Discipline, a word that came up earlier, but is it that kind of, is it that uh, endemic in our, in, or is it that more of an issue than just in that game? Ruben. Look, I wasn't at the Newcastle game, but the result, and I can't remember which of their goals it was, but when Newcastle just went from back to front and yeah, Wilson fourth, finished off fourth the one. fourth, yeah, yeah. The, the, there was kind of, I think I said this at the time, I, I never want to accuse players of not caring or not trying, but that the, the body language for that goal was very defeatist, I will say, from the players. They, they barely seemed to try to stop it because it felt inevitable. I didn't see that in the Everton game. What I saw in the Everton game was lapses in concentration followed by periods of real quality. Um, and the game was punctuated by by unfortunate moments. So I don't, but, but like you can't afford to do that. So, you know, I'm try, maybe I'm trying to minimise the problem that is actually more significant than I'd like to admit, but I don't think it's like endemic or... Uh, that serious. However, I understand why the immediate reaction after a game was addressing that issue because it seems to be the main reason why we did lose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's probably more disappointing in terms of the result because you go to St James's Park, you probably don't expect to get anything. You play Everton at home, you probably do expect to get something at, at least a point. And on top of two previous home performances where. You know, we've only yielded two points for home to Fulham and Forest. So two points from Fulham, Forest and Everton is not a fantastic return. Thankfully, that in, in that run, we, we've picked up wins at, at Old Trafford, surprisingly, and less surprisingly at Turf Moor. So the points tally doesn't necessarily look um, different to where a lot of Palace fans would expect it to be at this stage after those fixtures. But yeah, Everton at home is a, is a game that you, you know, you ring on the, on the fixture list and think, yeah, 
we, we've got to be bang up for it. And as Ruben says, it's the, probably the cheapness of the goals that we've conceded that that's the frustration. But there were positives to take from that performance. We've talked about it in in part one. Epsi's performance was exceptional. Um, you know, albeit I, I referenced uh, Mark Gay and Joe Anderson making you know slight mistakes in the second half. For the large proportion of that game, they were out, utterly outstanding, and and prove further why they are perhaps the two best centre halves to ever play for the club. So, you know, I have to qualify that the, the the small errors they made in the second half, Andersons that I think did lead to um, eventually lead to the goal. Um, aside, they were utterly brilliant. So, there's some real positives from that performance, but yeah, it's disappointing to not take at least a point at home to Everton, given where. Everton currently are, and and it's anticipated will remain for for much of the rest of the season. Yeah, it's, it's a similar tone to a lot of these questions. I think the timing of when they're asked is is a contributing factor in that. So Nav asks, should the back four and goalkeeper available to Roy, as well as the defensive midfielders, where we do have strength in depth, be conceding four, two, and three in three of the last four games? Now, just to recap, the four is at Newcastle, as we've just spoken about. The two against Spurs. And uh, the three against Everton, the the outlier in that being the the clean sheet at Turf Moor. Um, yeah, what do we think to that? Because it is, I, I still think they're the kind of some of the best players in our team, and the 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 area of the pitch I don't really worry about. But we have we've let in quite a few recently. Yeah. Um, so the answer to that question is no, they shouldn't be. Like we do have quality um, in those places, especially the two centre-backs and and the defensive midfielders. And to be fair, uh, Sam Johnston, I think, has been largely quite impressive in his Palace career. However, um, defending is no longer just the responsibility of the back four. It's a, it's a cohesive thing. You, every team, no matter, this is not like a super modern tactic. Every team has to defend as a unit and attack as a unit. Defenders have responsibility to play in build-up and attackers have responsibility to play in limiting what the opposition do um so you can't only like blame them for underperforming i think it's it's more of a team thing you know if one player gets hung out to dry or you know isn't in the right place then it destabilizes everything um and also uh newcastle and spurs are very good newcastle are less good at the moment because they've got half their squad injured but you know those are good teams those results can happen um, the Spurs performance I thought was was pretty valiant, um, but they were just in in great form. It's nice to get a clean sheet in there somewhere, albeit against Burnley. So we know it's not like they just constantly leak goals because they're bad. Like they can still keep clean sheets. So um, I understand the listeners' concern about their, those those results, but um, I don't think it's fair to necessarily just blame those individual players. The outlier is the Everton result. You know, if you concede four at St James's Park, if you concede two at home to Spurs, you're probably not going to think too much about it. The fact it's been followed up, albeit sandwiched between the, or sandwiched outside of a clean sheet at Burnley, the the Everton result is now like because Everton don't score that many goals. Mm. Um, I think everyone walking into Sellhurst or watching on Saturday was expecting um, a fairly tight encounter. So the fact the first four minutes were so open uh, was was stunning. To be honest, it was it was very much surprising. But yeah, Ruben's point is is absolutely demonstrated by Odson Edwards' piss poor attempt to hold the ball up in the first forty five seconds. That then. You know, you put a team player ball forward to a centre forward who should be able to hold the ball up. Everyone's on the front foot. Everton win the ball back as quickly as they did. We're on the back foot immediately and, and we're at sixes and sevens. Um, so, yeah, that type of goal can be avoided if, as Ruben says, the, the kind of attacking players do their bit um, better than they did in certain facets of the game on 
on uh, on Saturday. But yeah, it's disappointing. It's funny, really. It's kind of feast or famine with us defensively because I think we're still. Um, yeah, because we were tired of Newcastle and, and Arsenal going into the weekend in terms of um, kind of joint most clean sheets this season. So we are conceding a large amount of goals in certain matches, but still kind of top of the charts in terms of the number of clean sheets kept this season. You know, Sam Johnson, Mark Gay, Joachim Anderson all going away with with their international teams this year. Jefferson Lerma, Cech de Corre, international calibre. So the players are there of, of the quality that, that we want them to be, but... Yeah, I think it's probably Everton is the outlier. I'd be interested to see how our thoughts would be on that if we then go to Kenilworth Road in a fortnight and concede two or three there. Yeah, quite. I've, I've, one thing I kind of think we all need to be headstrong on, on as a as a fan base is this idea that it, it's a personnel issue it, uh, yeah, higher up the pitch that's just meaning that the, the, the reliable, dependable, defensive-minded players are just having it come back to them way, way too often, a lot quicker than, uh, you know, that that over 90 minutes can lend itself to a lot less recovery time, uh, quite a bit of a workout. Someone <laughs> like a Will Hughes, like needing to be hooked at about an hour, really. Well, it was, it, yeah. it was Will Hughes who loses the runner for the, yeah. for the goal. It's Adressa Garner Gay running off Will Hughes that leads to the winner. Ruben, sorry to <laughs> don't want to make you stat man for this pod, but how many yeah. touches of the ball did Joachim Anderson have on Saturday? So if we if we lambast uh, Jean Philippe Mateta for having two in, in fifteen minutes, <laughs> I'm intrigued to know how many touches the ball Jack Anderson has. Yeah. In in the meantime, while you're looking for that, I'll I'll say that it was just a response to a sort of similar question that I think the answer that Ruben gave and we could kind of be applied to that too. Morsi ninety three asked how long before we can say that Hodgson has reverted to type, and I, I think a lot of that is just come as a result of. That, but I think I think the last few months we have played like lockdown Roy because of what we've had available, and I mm. think if we played any differently, I think we would have had our asses handed to us a few times by pretty average teams as well as the good ones. So I think we just we 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 know at the time well, we probably need to hold our breath for a couple of games, but as the weeks go on, people forget that they're of the. It's almost like well. I, it's still Everton at home, so I, I suspect that we should turn up and, and turn them over. I, yeah. I don't think we can retrospectively go back to the Forest draw, the Fulham draw, and go, what a waste. Because did you see the teams we had to put out those, those weeks? Yeah, yeah. That, doesn't, that bit doesn't change. We can't, we mustn't forget that. Yeah. Well, the whole reason that like, at the back end of last season, Roy was able to play more progressive football was because, you know, until Wilf got injured, we had like a perfectly fit squad. And much more mobile players than he had beforehand, which was why he was able to do that. And now without, you know, with key attackers missing, he's been a bit more um, defence first, which I think makes sense um, as as boring as as it can be. But, you know, you'll take the points when you look back at the end of the season, won't you? Um, Anderson, to answer your question, Jack, had 134 touches. I mean, it's insane. He he completed 112 of 119 passes at 94%. Um, and Gahey had 141 touches, even oh, more. Oh, wow. So, okay. yeah, there was a lot of them two looking up and knocking it between each other. <laughs> how, 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 how many seasons do you think it took for Jim Cannon to make 144 <laughs> passes? <laughs> and if Jim, if Jan Cannon is listening to uh, to this podcast, I apologise for nearly running you over in Sainsbury's car park on Saturday, Jim. Oh, bloody hell, Jack. That was Yeah, yeah, bad times, bad times. <laughs> 
Do not want to be running over Palace Legends. That is not no. the name of the game when you go to Palace. And I hope he takes that that tongue in cheek question in good humour as well. Uh, yeah. in, in the in the in the nature that it was warranted. Um, on that, that, is, that, just so just the, the point about the the number of par- touches and passes is it, that will surely have an impact on their. I know that they've both been brought up, you know, through their youth careers, Gay at Chelsea and Anderson, um, you know, through through his the number of clubs he's played for will have played on, on that type of style. So it's not new to them, but you have to imagine the physical and mental fatigue that comes with that. There, there is no surprise that maybe one misplaced pass will be made in the 85th minute, which leads to Everton being on the front foot and overloading us and scoring the type of goal they scored. Like it, it is an impact. It's going to have, it's going to have an influence. And sometimes that influence is, is a negative one, sadly. Yeah. Those, those stats exceed where I thought, I thought you were going to say, maybe just north of 100 like that is that yeah. is insane and and some of those were situations i can i can remember one with with mark in particular where um you know the wide players aren't necessarily it, i think iu had a lot of space and joy in the first half especially um on the left side not so much and there was actually quite a lot i think everton kind of left a lot of room there for mitchell and and Schlup to to move around, almost knowing that they're not going to do anything incisive as a combination. And you have Mark Gray actually having to kind of try and take on a play or to to create some space in that area, which is more than even a centre back like that is probably should be having to do in order to break down a team like that. And it, yeah, as much imagine... as we do love his marauding runs forward, yeah, and yeah. He played one. He played one crossfield pass with his left foot that was unbelievable. I think it's because of where I was sat. But you had a great just, view. Yeah. You had a great view of that. Sorry, all yeah. the way. Yeah, unbelievable. Gosh. He's just great. Um, I've got another couple of questions. I've, I've gone for a few this week just because I'm aware that there's not really a game to preview for another week. Um, and asks, is playing only one holding midfielder the key to having more going forward and control as we saw Saturday? Seems to take Everton by surprise, especially in the first half. Or do you think Roy reverts to two when DeCorio is fully fit? I don't think it's ever truly two, though. I think one sits and one pushes slightly. I think, you know, in terms of the starting formation, then yes, they probably do, you know, sorry, to use the kind of six-eight analogy, they probably do start as sixes. But, you know, as you both said in the first part about Lerma's performance on Saturday, he it's very impressive in how he joined the final third. So I don't consider him to be typically playing as a kind of holding midfielder this season. He will do his work defensively very diligently, but equally he does join in kind of further parts of the pitch so higher up parts of the pitch so yeah it, it'll be i mean get different games different strokes for different folks isn't it for for whomever we're playing and sometimes we will need the two of them to dig in and contribute to a more defensive performance but then there'll be games like saturday where we have you know just shy of 70 percent worth of possession and and lerma effectively becomes an eight and pushing into kind of ebbs's uh part of the pitch so I guess what we have now is a is a calibre of player that are more flexible than we've had previously. So we have Lerma, Decora, who are more comfortable in different roles in midfield. And and I guess the key will be how, how Roy deploys them. I actually think with having Elise and Eze available, it gives Roy more flexibility in how he chooses to deploy Decore and Lerma because he knows at least when the ball does go further up the pitch, at least we've got players that can do something with it. So the 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 risk and opportunity to to add, say, Lerma into the mix in the in the opposition penalty area. Is is likely to, to prove more fruitful than it would be if Elise and Eze weren't on the pitch. Like, my question would be, who else would play? Like wh- when everybody's fit, it's going to be Decore, Lerma, and Eze, no matter what, because yeah. they're the best three players in that area of the pitch. Like maybe I guess you could play um, one of them, 
um, it's obviously going to be Decore and then play Hughes instead slightly further forward, which is basically what we did against Everton anyway. It was very much out of possession. I think Lerma was deepest and then Hughes was just in front of him and Eze was obviously playing as a 10. Um, I, I guess this is a matter of shape. Like, would you want Decore as a single pivot with two number eights where... Lerma kind of covers the right side of the pitch and Eze covers the left side of the pitch or do you want a block of two with Eze free roaming kind of starting from central um so it, again that would just depend on the opponent how they set up um but largely it's somewhere between the two it's mm. it's quite a they, they kind of react to each other's movement you know um so yeah I, I think maybe put there's slightly too much importance put into what the what the formation looks like uh on paper before a ball's been kicked. Because, you know, when you look at how they actually move, it's it's largely 4-3-3 anyway. Just amazing. Like, I agree with every word you said, Ruben, but to think it's only 13 years ago since David Wright was playing at the base of midfield. And here we are talking about the, the old 11-12. Oh, that 11-12 season when he played every game. Oh, it felt, felt like it anyway. Yeah. Sensational. It's yeah. amazing how far we've come. You know, albeit, you know, we're, yeah. we're talking after a defeat, but to talk about the calibre of these players and, and how our midfield moves, you know, so fluidly now and six, eight, all the, all the chat. It's just incredible as a Palace fan to think about some yeah. of the players, you know, Kemi Augustine coming on alone and not being able to move in midfield, let alone oh move God, between yeah. a six and an eight. I mean, it's just, it's just different times. I, th- time, I think this, um, th- this question is actually kind of. For me, it reminds me of the period um, when we had like Kabai, MacArthur, the mm. end of Yedinak, Punchin, um, and players like that. And there was a bit of because when Kabai came in, we started playing him, MacArthur, and Punchin, and Pards would swap MacArthur and Punchin around, and it wasn't quite clear who should play which role because we had a few different options. Um, whereas now it's pretty clear cut. It's like right, we've got three good midfielders. And the rest, you don't really want to see play if you don't have to. <laughs> when you say about that midfield three, though, I mean that is that is top right, isn't it? That is. Oh, I loved that midfield that so is much. Outstanding, yeah. yeah. Which which brings me to the the final question of this part, which could have been asked at various times of this season, but it, pertinent coming off the back of what we're talking about. Steve F asks. Uh, this, uh, this, hi Steve. This is as in upper tier Steve on on Twitter X. Uh, enjoyable follow, by the way. Um, we have five players who are among the best we've ever had in their positions and are on an upwards curve. And we have an Egan goalkeeper. Are we wasting a golden opportunity? Oh, some massive question, Joe. <laughs> it's it's one that t- one that tears my gut. I, 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 I... It's nine o'clock. We can't get into this <laughs> now. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, we're not because everybody's got um, similarly good squads. That's just the level of the Premier League. Would be my short and really pessimistic. Well, not pessimistic, but that's my short answer. There's a lot to get into. I completely take the point that um, that is true when you look at Gahey and Elise and Eze and Decore um, and Anderson. But um, unfortunately, lots of other good teams in the league. You know, look at Villa's squad now. Um, yeah. Don't have to. Don't we? Don't. I don't have to remind you about what Brighton have done over the last few years. So, you know, the, the competition is just the highest it's ever been as well. So we should enjoy it, but I don't think we should lament the fact that it's, you know, we're not winning everything. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there, Ruben, in terms of the kind of calibre of competition in the league. I, I But I do sympathise with what, what Steve is saying there in terms of the calibre of player exceeds what we've had previously by such an extent and by the time these players end their career god knows what they may well have achieved but they are they are sensational but i 
uh, you know, they are also surrounded by players who are not at that level, mm-hmm. and the investment in the club has, uh, sorry, in the playing staff at least, has has not replicated the spending of that twenty one window, which the majority of those players that Steve is referencing, you know, came in yeah. at. So, those five players, yes, they are utterly sensational, but we do not have the the rest of the playing squad complementing that level of, of of ability, and, and that's the unfortunate truth. We could go back down the road of looking at previous transfer windows. We've already referenced the fact that we don't think we're going to do, or sorry, I have, I won't speak for both of you, but I've already referenced I don't think we'll do much business this January. And then we're at next summer where the biggest deal, despite, you know, speaking less than a week after Eberichers' contract extension was announced, we're going to be spending the whole summer frightful, the, or fright, frightful, yeah, sorry, frightful of um, those guys leaving. So it's a difficult time um, because, we- you know, Sorry, go on. Have we been on since Ebbs' new deal, by the way? We, no, we, we asked Dom about it last week, didn't we? We, right. we? we asked him and he said it was close and he was very close to the truth on that. Because um, that's so, been announced now, well. listener, by the way, that's yeah. a three and a half year deal, which I I presume is as favourable terms for release clauses, etc. But, but that's also, the model and protects us. Yeah, and, and as Dom said last week, the model will only be proven once we actually sell one of these players. And that's yeah. that's the difficult truth with it, but yeah, I I, I sympathise with the question. I don't know if I agree with the premise of us wasting this golden generation, but um, as Ruben says, we've we've got to enjoy them while they're here because we we all know they won't be um, here after, um, or not all of them. It's likely that you know at least one of them will depart this summer. But I trust in Dougie, who himself has been subject to rumours this, More on that uh, this in a week. Bit. More on that in a second, I'm sure. <laughs> um, you've got to trust that the club will will invest next summer to replace and, and hopefully the proof to any future talent that comes in is they can see the players that have come through the door and and it's anticipated we'll leave through the same door but to go for a vast sum of money. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Joe? What do you what are your thoughts? If, if, if Ruben and I are being made to answer such a question, you have to speak your I, I, <laughs> I, I have to really restrain myself to not ask the question what if uh, every now and then it, I think it's very easy and I, I can understand how it would happen the moment we don't get a result that, that, that there's a moment there's a game or a performance or a result that doesn't go our way and we drop points and you think oh the the one that I find really difficult now hindsight's wonderful I look at that first season Vieira team and go mm. we're about six seven points off Europe and I we dropped about 14 points in the last 10 minutes in that season and it Oh my God! We had Conor Gallagher. We had all these players, in, and Wilf. And I don't think we'll ever see a team that good again. We had a ball that year, and we, we barely uh, got to see him play with Eze as well because Eze was on yeah. from injury, wasn't he? Just yeah. imagine, like we did occasionally field them both in front of um, Kiate. Yeah. Oh, I wish you hadn't reminded me of that. That's made yeah. me sad. We, we had a great time that that season. It, it, you know, I, I, I think as as. Weird as it's gone for Vieira in since then, and of course post Palace, I think Strasbourg fans are already turning on him. <laughs> he did bring the fun back, and but I do think, or oh, a, a more kind of experienced manager, we might have got the, we might have had the dream, the dream trips to Azerbaijan and and Armenia that I've been craving. But Joe Walker I, and Baku, <laughs> yeah, oh, you can't, I, yeah, but. Just Steve. don't try going from one of those countries to the other. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Steve, Steve, 
I, I, I sympathize with you. I, I get the sentiment. I think it will eat you away. It will eat away at you if you if you keep asking it. I think it's we've got, just got to just put your head in the sand with that one because it's life's it's, full of letdowns. Aim low and avoid disappointment. That's the spirit. <laughs> Club motto. Club motto. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's. Uh, I feel the sudden need to scurry away from that question pretty quickly. Uh, and head over to part three, where we'll um, get into three, two, one, and actually give ourselves a bit of space to talk about that Dougie news over the weekend. Um, but yeah, all of that in part three. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan podcast, sponsored by Green King Sport, where football's more than a game. It's part three of the episode, which means it's time for three, two, one. If you don't know, this is a segment where each of us bring forward someone or something we feel deserves salute or just celebrating, championing from the previous week of Palace. And we award them each three, two, or one point, respectively. Um, I'll start with you, Jack. Who would you like to put forward? from the from that weekend i feel a bit cheeky because i'm I'm going to use the, the stat that ruben kind of chucked out earlier and um, to kind of further my evidence for my nomination but jefferson lerma for me i think that was yeah despite a, a losing effort I, I feel that was probably his best performance in the palace shirt and the fact that ruben can tell us that he didn't concede a foul in the game that i would have put the mortgage on him having conceded a foul just kind of sums up the uh the level of performance. To sofa score, anyway. If it doesn't sound right, does it? But I believe them. Yeah, we'll take sofa score. It was a wet Tuesday night. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was really good and, and just really cemented the the quality of that signing. The fact that was a you, know, you could argue the, the the only deal that's really impacted the first team right now that we we completed. But at least that deal in itself was was a good one. Um, and I thought he had a really good game. Um, should have scored. Um, he'll be disappointed he didn't at least hit the target there. But um, yeah, for me, one of uh, one of our best performers on on Saturday. He is the only summer signing to start a league game this season. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, isn't that mad? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I wonder how long it will be that that is the case as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big question. Boxing um, Day. I'll go Boxing Day. Rob Holding coming in for a a slightly tired Joachim Anderson. That'll be my uh, that'll be my guess. And you're definitely sure he's ahead of Tompkins in the pecking order. Oh, Chris Richards, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Uh, I'm genuinely, on Chris I think, I, genuinely, I think Chris Richards is probably third in the pecking order. Right? Oh, I hope he is. I hope yeah. he is. Um, I guess that that guess is bull. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to rely on Chris Richards maybe having a, a slight <laughs> injury as well. So Rob Holding comes in. It's not Boxing Day, but it's the 27th, isn't it? So, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say that Rob Holding on the 27th of uh, December will be our first summer signing to start other than Jefferson Lerma. Yeah. Yeah. Well, failing that, it will be FA Cup third round weekend, possibly, that, that they're getting their next look in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Ruben, uh, now that Lerma's off the table, uh, who are you putting forward for three two one this week? I think it's got to be Eze, no? He yeah. was just incredible. As you guys went into a lot of detail about earlier, like his first half was ridiculous, the way he took the ball on the turn and, everything 
good or dangerous that we did seem to come through him uh, unsurprisingly given um you know his creativity and and who he was surrounded by so um yeah he was he was absolutely fantastic and it's really pleasing to see after he's come back from a hamstring injury um which you know can be quite uh, inhibiting mm. even when players come back same with his Achilles injury before I was worried it might ruin his uh, his agility and mobility but um thankfully Touchwood, neither of them have. So, um, yeah, got to be Eze for me. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, the his performance at Turf Moor did give me a concern that, oh, are we rushing him back a bit too early here? But there there was your answer, uh, uh, Celeste, on, on the weekend. I thought, yeah, it was excellent. The, the move that led to the penalty that was awarded was simply give it to your best player. And yeah. I love it when I love it when that happens in the Premier League. You know, yeah. you ever seen um, kicking and screaming? The, yeah, that Will Ferrell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like just pass the ball to the Italians. That's uh, <laughs> that's right at halftime. <laughs> a... It was it was great. It was it was well worth the entry fee on its own, wasn't it? On on Saturday, he, he is something else. And you know, however long we have him, and let's not be overly pessimistic on how long that might be, but. Um, the fact we've able we've been able to tie him down to an extended contract is is credit to everyone at the club and, and uh, there's a lot of criticism around. But to to get Michael Elise and Ebrich Eze to sign a second contract with Palace is is one hell of an achievement because the clubs will be lining up for both of them. But Ebbs was um, was something else. <laughs> the only shame it was it wasn't coming towards the Homesdale because I think that would have been uh, you know from our perspective even better because the three of us were down that end. But yeah, great stuff and. Um, yeah, I probably should have gone for Ebbs. So, yeah. Damn it! There was when when he got his uh, England call up most recently. There was a JD interview with someone, a QPR fan, who I think has written some incredible stuff about Ebbs when he first left the club to come to Palace. And there's a there was some stuff in there that's always stuck in my mind, which was essentially there would be games where Everett Chiesa would just decide that they were going to win that week. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, I felt like, I felt, I saw glimpses of that in that first half. I thought, this is this, he has decided that that he's going to be the best player on the pitch today. And isn't it great that we have someone on our team that has that power to yield? I mean, Uh, selfishly, I have to say, when I saw that James Madison was was not fit to to report for England duty, I, I presume that Ebbs would get that call up. So I'm disappointed for him, but you know, mildly relieved that Cole Palmer seems to have got that call up instead and to be fair um, he only had like 20 minutes under his belt right so yeah exactly so that's, that's selfishly I'm thinking he's, not, he's probably not ready to to go away and he, he'll have a, a gentler couple of weeks with Palace than he would have done if he'd gone away of England albeit I, I realise that probably will impact his his chances of getting a call up for, for for Germany next summer but um yeah that that was that was some great stuff Joe just reminded me that the QPR fan it, um, <laughs> Probably one of the, my favourite podcasts we've recorded for a long time was with Clive um, in the summer, I think just ahead of Ebbs making his England debut with um, a cutely named QPR blog called Loft for Words. And he just right. waxed lyrical about such games when Ebbs just decided, I'm going to win a football match right now. And yeah, sadly for us, he didn't on Saturday, but um, yeah, that, that first half in particular was fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so we've got Ebbs and we've got Jefferson Lerma. I'm going to put forward. Someone who hasn't got any points on the board so far this season, but I'll give him his first points, and that is Michael Elise. Just it didn't take much. (laughs) No, it didn't take much, but just 
I feel like a couple of times this season, particularly when I'm, I tend to be on after bad results, I, I'm always happy for returning players. And there wasn't, as we said earlier, no signs of rust. Um, was king to kind of just have a go at the, the Everton fullback and then come inside as well, causing all sorts of problems immediately. Um, I feel like on another day, probably could have drew a foul out of Mikalenko if, if it played another, it, you know, the cards fell another way. I, I'm just really excited now. You, I think you said it. You're kind trying of, to manifest him getting off the mark by getting him off the mark in this game. Absolutely, Ruben. That's is exactly it. And um, I think you were kind of tongue in cheek with it, Jack, earlier. But genuinely, I do think our season starts now. You know, I mean, there's there's a, there's a universe where Luton don't know what's hit them next Saturday. I'm I kind of hope five. so. Yeah. Um, and then we let's have a repeat have... of Leeds last season. You know, oh, yes, exactly. that kind of surprise dominance. Where did that come from? Battle. L. L, five letters. Yes, please. That'd be lovely. Uh, I mean, you two, you know, in, in close enough to the Jim Daly suite, you were up up close and personal with, with Michael Lee's. That, some of his touches, if that's if that's his ability and that, if that's his level after five months out, you forget how long it is. Yeah. That's the start of the pre-season that he, you know, went um, away with France for the Euros and, and, and came a cropper there. So if that's him after five months, you just think, what is he going to be like? Just with a little bit of match fitness. I'll throw it out to you then, Joe, as he's your nominee. I'm presuming you chuck him straight in from the start against Luton then. I would. I, I, I feel like we've been so desperate for... I don't, I don't see the 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 reward or the, the benefit of easing him in any slower, particularly when he's had an extra week with the international break. I just think we're so evidently in need of goals. We're so evidently in need of the creativity, uh, the more kind of players that can relieve pressure from the defence and the midfield, the better. And who better to introduce for that solution than Michael Elise? I think a, cl- a player that's not forget a player that probably every Premier League club would have. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Just delighted to see him back. And yeah, Luton, Luton most excited for, but I also think it makes a huge difference. He's a difference in, a point and no point in games against hmm. Liverpool and Chelsea hmm. coming up. The Brighton game. In De- well, I'm just going to quickly. Here's December's fixtures, guys. West Ham away, Bournemouth at home, Liverpool at home, City away, Brighton at home, Chelsea away, Brentford at home. Those are, that is, that's a, that's a grueling schedule anyway. That doesn't sound fun. Not fun at all. <laughs> and some really tough opposition in there. You need Michael Lise's in there to, help you get anything out of that run. Well, he was the difference between a point and three points at the London Stadium last last season, wasn't he? Yeah, he, exactly. With, with a bit of luck. So, yeah, your point, absolutely spot on there. Um, we're a better team. We're a better outfit with, with him uh, available. You've just got to hope that he maintains fitness now between now and the, the rest of the season. Um, but as we've said so many times, the guy doesn't do pre-seasons. So we shouldn't we should be surprised that his season starts in November. <laughs> yeah. Um, he looked so hungry when he came on yeah, as well. Really like when he won that penalty immediately, he was really, he was obviously like clock was ticking, but he seemed really focused and in a rush to score, which um, I guess is kind of like the least you can expect. But it was notable when he came on um, how hungry he was to make an immediate impact. So I love that. He did the, and he, yeah, his hunger, there was a the kind of jump that substitutes do to kind of indicate they're ready to come on. Just jump. He looked like he just jumped so high when he did that. Just like he's so ready to play football. Yeah, um, yeah I'm really excited for him to for the rest of the season. Yeah, really excited. 
And despite that, I would probably only put him forward for one point. <laughs> I think, I think, I think it's more symbolic point. But uh, one, yeah. one point for twenty three minutes or whatever it was is, is not yeah. bad going, is it? So pretty, pretty bad. Go- it's pretty good going. I, but I think Ebbs has, Eb, has to get the three for for the level of performance and. If you're happy to fit Jefferson into the middle, I think that's probably a fair reflection of the where he's happy. He won this weekend. Where he's happy, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think Ebbs and and celebrating a, a a contract extension too. So a good week for Ebbs. Yeah, yeah. You got you have to factor that in as well, given it's it's, mm. it's the whole week since we were last on. So <laughs> yeah, without much without much uh, battle between us, I think that is three more points for Ebbs, two for Jefferson Lerma, and one for Michael Elise. I don't have the three two one table in front of me. But I know that this doesn't. Mateta's reign at the top is over. The dictatorship. Oh, I think is, yeah. I, oh, yeah, yeah. I think there's a pr- there's a proud Dane sitting at the top of the table as of last week. So okay, good. Yeah. I, 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 but now, I mean, for we, now, key point. Yeah. You know, Mateta at Luton. Who knows? <laughs> the heroes can be made. Don't don't we write. Shall don't see. Count him out. We, we shall see. <laughs> uh, right, that's three, two, one for this week. Um, rather than do a part four because it's the international break. Um, Luton is actually we've mentioned it a few times but it is you know more than a week away there will be a a pod in between now and then I'll just do a quick run through of those players on international duty Um, Anderson is playing for Denmark they've got Slovenia on Friday do you know actually so the the toughest games seem to be Lerma's got Brazil and Paraguay as mentioned for Mm. Colombia Chris Richards has a playoff with Trinidad home and away uh, Trinidad away on Tuesday, so Tuesday the twenty first November back, back in probably lands what Friday. Hopefully, just go straight to Luton though. Just fly yeah. straight in. Does Luton <laughs> Airport fly to Trinidad? Is that? Is that... I don't know where Luton <laughs> Airport flies to. <laughs> I'm, just, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna sure. say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, via via somewhere maybe. But yes. Yeah. yeah. Direct um, flights in short supply. Decore's got two home games for Mali. The opposition is not great caliber, Chad and Central Africa Republic, but at least he's staying put. So that should hopefully, you know, fewer air So he's miles, going, he's going, is he? By the looks of it anyway. That's how the, the Palace website has, has kind of reported okay. us. So um, okay. Jordan Ayew has, the, I think, one of the more grueling. He's got a home game on Friday night against Madagascar and then a Tuesday <laughs> game away at Comoros. I don't know if you know where Comoros is. It's one of those yeah. islands just above Madagascar. Yes. So, like, that is a long, long Stay way away. I oh, know the home games is in Ghana first. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. If only so, they were both. <laughs> exactly, you could just hang nice around. Nice 10-day break, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm sure all of those games, most of those games impossible to catch. But uh, <laughs> um, what you can do, at least, is see England v Malta. On Friday, Mark Gay and Sam Johnston in the squad. And there's a North Macedonia v England on Monday night. I will be at Wembley on Friday. Um, I will let out a Beatles fan like scream if, if either of them make the pitch. <laughs> I'll let it be known. Is you um, the only person in Wembley going, Super Sam Johnston and goals? Yes, yeah, just hoping eventually someone else joins in. Uh, my dad just shaking with this, his head of disapproval next to me. Is that, I mean, it's quite interesting, the England centre-back situation. So, Ezri Concert had his first mm-hmm. call-up um, ever, I think. About long overdue. Time. Yeah. Way overdue, man. Yeah. Way overdue. Like, it was incredible that Mings was getting called up ahead of him a couple of years ago. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I've said a few times, I think that's because of the whole left-footed factor, which seems yeah. to be less of a problem now that we've got Colwell, who's also had to drop out. Uh, yeah. Dunks had to drop out. Stones is injured. So, really good opportunity for Gay to impress. I presume he may play... On the left with Maguire next to him on the right. 
Yeah, it's, it's, Ukraine, didn't it? it was the two of them against Ukraine across last break or the break before. So yeah, yeah. 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 So but he's got to be one of the favourites now to get a place in the squad next summer. You think if, with, if he continues to play like this, and I mean Maguire may start the rest of the season for United, and I think that's his main competition because Stones is a dead cert, right? So yeah. if Gahey's going to start the Euros, it's it's in that left sided spot. Personally, I'd like to see Gahey, Stones, Concert, Colwell as the four. Um, and you know, like nobody needs to talk about Harry Maguire, right? But um, I, yeah, it it could be between those two, um, and it may be horses for courses depending on the opposition. But um, you know, it'd be great if we actually had a starter in the England team in the Europe. Imagine, yeah, we've never seen a like. I'd, I'd, I'd just, I'd, I'd be giddy. I'd be so giddy. <laughs> um, I, you mentioned earlier, you talked about Ebbs in the England setup and how how much time is really left to make an impression. I think after this international break, there is, I think it's not again until March that I think they all reconvene. I think England have, uh, I might have to double check that England just announced some friendlies against Brazil and mm-hmm. Belgium, both at home uh, in February time. Uh, I'm just checking, double checking. Yeah, those are, I think you're right. I think that is yeah, right. Yeah. That's, yeah. So there is a big gap there for, for until Ebbs to make an impression. It's sometimes often, you have to make a, a really kind of tear up the Premier League where others aren't to kind of slip in that late. But yeah. his his issue now is that um, Jude Bellingham plays as England's number ten. Yeah, yeah. and uh, like even when Madison was playing for England, he uh, from the left. There are still plenty of other left sided players like Grealish and Rashford, and you know mm-hmm. Sterling's not even in the squad. Competition is high. Like Mount's not in there, but. You know, Foden, Bellingham, and Grealish are so. It's um, it'll be very, very tough for him to to make that squad. I think, but who knows? Yeah, Sam Johnston started in the last international break for England that friendly against Australia. I think you mentioned sofa score earlier. I think he was man of the match by all those kind of metrics. Mm. Um, it did Malta at home possibly the sort of qualifier competitive game where you might see Sam Johnston in goal. I I would highly doubt North Macedonia away would be one where he's risked or chanced where Pickford is fit. Do do you, am I overthinking that? Do is do you reckon that the uh, Johnston's kind of appearance against Australia was just kind of like a well done for what you've done so far? But actually, when it comes down to these competitive qualifiers, he's probably going to be just Pickford or nobody for now. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think, think yeah. I, he's not dropping Pickford, is he? No. No. And actually, when you see Pickford live, and I've said this the last few times when you see him, you realise how good a goalkeeper he is. I think there's so much circus that comes with Jordan Pickford. You you kind of lose sight of what a good goalkeeper he is. And for a very desperate Everton team, he's been a very good goalkeeper for them for six or seven years now. And with England, I think he goes a level above that as well. So, yeah. you know, I, I think Johnston is doing really well to be in as number two, because I think Jordan Pickford is so far in as number one. Um, you know, even the likes of Nick Pope, who, you know, was in the Champions League winning attaining team last year, wasn't able to, to kind of get rid of him. Aaron Ramsdale, who was number one in the team that pushed City close to the title, wasn't deemed good enough yeah. to push Jordan Pickford out. So if Sam Johnson can can make himself number two, um, then I think that's a great achievement. Aaron Ramsdale, the situation's not improving for him at Arsenal. Nick Pope, I think there's maybe question marks in terms of Southgate's trust regarding uh Pope with the ball at his feet. He's clearly an excellent shot stopper and a very good goalkeeper, but 
I think there are, are comments and queries about his ability with, with the ball at his feet, whereas Johnson does impress week on week with with the ball at his feet. So I think Johnson's number two, but I wouldn't anticipate him getting minutes this international break. But the Ramsdale situation is really weird. It's probably a conversation for a different podcast on a different day. But like his dad publicly um, <laughs> kind of criticising the goalkeeper situation at Arsenal. On, is it, on, the and, on the equivalent of, FY, of an Arsenal FYP podcast, like... It's right, a fan's yeah. podcast. And Ramsdale said honest. said some interesting things about his concentration and how he interferes with not interferes, interacts with opposition fans when they wind him up and stuff. Um and I don't think he fully considered the optics of what he was saying. Um so yeah, that's a bit of a mad one. So yeah, Johnston's got a, he's basically got a clear run at back up to Pickford's spot. So Selsey's listening and he does speak to Sam Johnson this week. Tell Sam Johnson to not speak to the Malta fans this week because they always uh, just keep <laughs> quiet. Don't join in when they go, your shit, ah, in Maltese. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Two two Palace players, at least, who look in the running for for an England squad at a major finals. That, that, hey, I'm, I'm, look, I'm getting itchy on my seat. Um, let's go for something very positive to. We'll, we'll kind of revisit something that was mentioned earlier before we go, which was a weekend link. I imagine it didn't come from nowhere, which was um, the potential investor at Manchester United, uh, Jim Ratcliffe, mm-hmm. um, has supposedly, reportedly earmarked our very own Dougie Friedman as a candidate for the kind of sporting director role that United have sort of been desperate to fill for multiple seasons now, it feels like. Um I've seen one other name mentioned who I can't remember what club they are at, but someone with an equally impressive record, a bit more of a, a glamorous kind of clubs on his CV rather than Crystal Palace. Paul Mitchell. Paul Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they were to come in, I think, I, I, I think there's not really, what can we really do there? If they could, cause I feel like they'll, that's a club that can, in those kind of jobs, can still throw their weight around massively. He's right? deserted us for the Northwest before. <laughs> oh, he said it. He said it. I, um, I wonder. No, I, don't, I don't consider that de- desertion anymore. Don't worry. I've forgiven him. Um, but yeah, it's it's a weird concern, isn't it, to to be worried about somebody poaching your sporting director? It's like, but that's what he's meant to do. Yeah, yeah. it's it is a weird one. It is a weird one. I wonder whether there may all be validity in the story, but Jim Ratcliffe involved with with Nice. Um, Ian Moody, previously involved with Palace, yep. has done some work with Nice. I think he took Ross Barkley there last summer. So, like, you can see how there are links between Ratcliffe and Dougie Friedman if you just think a basic link between they know someone in common. Yeah. Um, and Friedman can point to a very impressive transfer window in 2021, which which he coordinated because that wasn't that you know some of it was involving the manager in terms of the charm offensive, but in terms of the targets being identified, the deals being agreed. That was Dougie. He then followed that up with a 2022 window signing of Chet Decore, who became our player of the season last year. We've talked about him uh, very positively in this this episode. And even other players who haven't yet really um, shown their true worth, but players like Chris Richards, you know, deals that we've completed, players in the squad, but we trust they would be very, very good if they had their chance, but they're just kind of blocked out at the moment by other players who are playing at an incredibly high level. So, yeah, Friedman has got some nice deals to, to show and I I'm not surprised he's linked but as Ruben says it's just bizarre to see you know administrators within your football club being linked with moves away but probably a compliment to the club really and um 
as you say, Joe, if, if United did come calling, could we really begrudge him a move to, you know, one, maybe not on the pitch right now, but in terms of profile, perhaps the biggest football club in the world? Yeah, some, I, you know, you joked about Bolton there, Ruben. I presume he probably still has a home or base in the Northwest as a result of that, possibly, you know. He is Scottish. I know he's lived down here a long time, but he may have family that, you know, it's it's halfway there, if you like. Mm-hmm. Also, the, I, the, the the job's quite appealing. Do you know totally, what I mean? Totally. Because, I mean, like, Manchester United are... This is Manchester United Football Club we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shambles, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Every, they're like they're like a toxic boyfriend that every coach and sporting director thinks I can fix them. Yeah, I can fix them. And if you are the one to fix them and suddenly make them actually functional and good again, your reputation is just through the fucking roof. So I can understand why, because you know, to, to be a a manager, a coach of any kind, really, you need an ego. Like you need to believe that you've got the best ideas and stuff. Um, so I like I. It wouldn't surprise me if he could have his head turned by that sort of interest, but we, we're not really sure how serious it is yet. Oh yeah. We, we, so there was a kind of follow up to the story this week so far, which I think on Monday, which was Rio Ferdinand being asked about this, this story and his, oh, Rio. and his, God love him. His, his response was, well, I've never heard anyone speak really positively about Crystal Palace's kind of recruitment. Not only did people find quotes from him <laughs> praising Palace's recruitment within the last sort of 12 months or so. Um, also, I, I think one of the examples, you mentioned all those players that have been signed in that 21 window, for example, as well as the Corey since then. Altogether, their their total fees accumulate to less than sort of what was paid for Anthony. And if you are and if you are Manchester United, as big as that as 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 you know. That well is never dry no. over there, but you would kind of be hoping for some more response, if not responsible spending, spending that you actually see the value of on the pitch, which I think they've been lacking for a while. And as you say, Ruben, I, I can imagine that like, yeah, Friedman goes, oh my gosh, so all these targets that I can evidently point to, I can get them without with a lot less stress. I could probably just grease these palms with a, just chuck an extra five million on it and it would just happen. Mm-hmm. You know, that that would be, I imagine for someone who has the taste for that particular job, it's probably one of the best places to go and do it, right? Yeah, because the bar is so low. Like, you just need to have one good window. Like, literally, yeah. make one successful signing and you've done a better job than anyone over the past 12 years. I remember once, like, a couple of years ago, it was during the pandemic, I was, like, giving all of their post-Ferguson signings a rating out of 10 for you know some lockdown content and uh and like, like the most complimentary i could be about any of their signings was like matter and zlatan and oh. since then like everybody has underwhelmed bruno fernandez is in his own weird category of occasionally yeah. being the best thing since sliced bread and occasionally being awful but like nobody's really been a success so if you just come in and make like three really good good value signings that actually improve while they're at the club you look like a genius yeah I, yeah, I, I'm slightly worried about this one. I don't. I don't see it in the desertion. Was the word you used earlier, Ruben, about the uh, tongue in cheek, like about the the move to Bolton. I don't. I wouldn't see that. I wouldn't. I, in if he if he decided to leave, I, I would. I'd feel no way about it. I would not begrudge. So I would. I would feel a way about it. I would not begrudge Dougie Friedman. Yeah, that it would move. be very different. It would be very different to 2012. I probably yeah. t- quadruple his salary as well. 
like to, probably or you probably even more know you know how bad they are at negotiating up there prior to him he'd, he'd have no money to spend on players because they were paying it all to him <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. But hey if he does go the least he could do is sell us back Aaron Wambasaka for peanuts so <laughs> yeah we'll take it we'll or take you it. know he may he may recommend them a, a pretty tasty England goalkeeper who's who's around for 20 million or so pretty tasty England goalkeeper I think there's a decent French striker we've got he can take either one of them as well so um yeah, fifty million. The bid start of fifty million for JP. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, that that totally. Yeah, he, he's an in. Um, but yeah, how how do, how do you know it's an international break? We spend ten minutes talking about a sporting director. That's that's how you yeah. know. And the yeah. England squad, obviously. But and like squad, anything course, that isn't yeah. Palace, like we've done. I quite enjoyed that England corner. I get really passionate about the England team, so it's nice to have a chance to. Well, I would do too, but I didn't get any tickets for the Euros in the ballot today, so I'm neither did I. This is why you got to be at Malta on a Friday to to get your points. <laughs> you earn up. your credit, yeah. You earn your I, credit. I, I I put myself through it, so you so I, for for those wins later on. If That's... if any PRs want to send me <laughs> uh, for like an Instagram story or something, then uh, slide into my DMs. Would you take Albania versus Sweden in Dusseldorf or something for the sake of it? Ah, uh, yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've heard PR companies. You've heard. <laughs> Yeah. And on that note, I really will take anything. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> on that note, then let's uh, let's wrap up, shall we? I, I, I said we flick through because there isn't a, a, a game till next weekend, but we made it a ninety-minute-plus pod <laughs> nonetheless. Thank you very much, gents. Well done. Uh, I enjoyed every minute of it, though. So uh, thanks very much to you, listener, if you're still here, and uh, big <laughs> thank you to Jack Pierce, of course, as always, thank and. You, Jack. Uh, and you, Ruben, as well. Thank you again for coming on. Always a pleasure having you on the pod. Cheers, guys. Nice one. All right. We'll see you. Well, FYP, next episode is number 500. It's a big one. And I can't I can't say much more than that, but it is a big one. So, yeah, stay tuned to your feed. Keep your eyes and ears peeled. It's going to be amazing. See you then. Podcast Network.